Hey, hey! Welcome to another installment of Too Much to Watch. I'm Sam Papard. On today's show, we'll be diving into the inevitable, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I had previously done a podcast on the effects of The Last of Us on video game adaptations and how it was a turning point. And oh man, if that wasn't um, the shot, then this one is sure the chaser. This movie has now hit a billion dollars and I'll be diving into a full review slash recap of it. But first, I do want to also dive into something else and this is actually concerning the movie itself. There is a divide, that good old divide that you see on Rotten Tomatoes of the audience score versus the critic score. And it's quite divided with regards to this movie. I want to do a little exploration of why that is and why you often see that, but I do want it more pertaining to this movie. Um, And it seems to be that there's, I don't know, possibly a narrative from the community of film critics to almost will this movie to not be well-received? Potentially. I don't know. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist or anything here. So anyway, let's get into it. Let's take it away. All right. So... I didn't even really want to talk about anything like this because I think that it often gets talked about on a lot of YouTube channels, but I found this a bit unavoidable because, I don't know, I guess I'm personally invested. I was not raised on the Mouse House, Mickey Mouse and a lot of those Disney characters. Sure, I watched a lot of those movies growing up, but... What meant a lot more to me was the characters of Nintendo. Zelda, Mario, Kirby, Metroid. Those were, that's kind of like the Disney of uh, video game, the video game world. And that's what I was raised on. I have a personal attachment to these characters. So when I heard there was a Super Mario Brothers animated movie coming out, I was like, oh yes, they could probably get it right this time. And I think a lot of people were thinking the same thing. Remember, the first Super Mario Brothers uh, game came out in 1985. So this spans multiple generations at this point. If you're under the age of, oh, I don't know, 50, you've probably played a Mario game at some point in your life, or you're probably vaguely familiar with Mario. Just a little background here. Shiru Miyamoto, who is the creator of Mario originally wanted to make a Popeye video game and Nintendo couldn't get the licensing rights. So then he called the character Jumpman and made him a carpenter and took the idea of the large brute and kind of uh, instead made it the large brute that Popeye would save the damsel in distress from, or Jumpman in this case made that Donkey Kong heavily inspired by King Kong. Eventually, they changed the name to Mario and made him a plumber. And the reason that he is named Mario is the warehouse manager of Nintendo of America at the time was named Mario. 
So that's how it came to be, right? It's it's a, it's actually a very simple story. Um, that being said, I just wanted to get that little backstory out there because I think it's great. So this game has meant a lot to a lot of people. There's just been so many games, whether it's Mario Kart, any form of Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario 64, Super Mario World, uh, Super Mario galaxy on the Wii to the most recent one which isn't even that recent at this point is super mario odyssey which i thought was awesome um so i saw this movie in an audience that probably ranged from the ages of 25 to 65 there were no kids in this audience and they were hooping and hollering and having an amazing time yet while i was watching this movie I could clearly see that it was made for kids. There's not really that many jokes like in Toy Story that are kind of aimed at like subtly aimed at adults. And there's not too much higher meaning in this movie either. But people were still having a great time. And I think that's just because so many people have had an attachment to Mario over the years. And I think that that is what a lot of professional movie critics have seemed to have forgotten when they're kind of piling on this movie and calling it just bad. I've seen a lot of puns. I saw a guy on Twitter say, I just saw the new Mario movie. It's a bad doing a pun. I, by the way, I do have to say, for a lot of movies, what is up with the puns? Why are you still doing that? Just review the movie. Give me your analysis. The puns, like, it's not 1996 anymore. There's just a lot of other technology out there. We don't need puns in our reviews. This is my own personal rant. But, like, for instance, the movie House of Gucci, which came out. I think I saw a review, someone say, like a little snippet on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie may bury the Gucci name, but it really feels like it has the quality of being just off the sales rack. It's like, really? Come on, man. I mean, who's entertained by that? Who's going to memorize that the next day? Do you know what this critic said? They said it was off the sales rack. Oh, oh my gosh. I think that that's what critics have forgotten. This movie currently stands at a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not like god awful. That's based on 254 reviews, which is a lot. However, it currently has a 96% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. This gets talked about by a lot of uh, certain various YouTube channels, which I will not name, <laughs> uh, that this represents the divide of uh, America or the world of the elites versus the normal people. And oftentimes, I will say, uh, I saw another YouTuber, John Campia, point out that actually the tomato meter versus the audience score are more closely aligned more often than not. There's just some movies where it's the case where it's not. And those movies kind of, that those instances kind of blow up. This is one of those instances. Another instance, maybe uh, last year's The Gray Man on Netflix, which has a 46, so even worse, 46% on the critic score and 90% on the audience score. That's a big divide as well. I actually didn't like that movie nearly as much as I liked this movie. I will say it was good. Uh, there were some problems with it though, for me personally. 
So I read in one review, and this is in The Atlantic, <laughs> and the, the, I found the criticism, quite frankly, ridiculous. And it's like, you need to like, I don't know, why are you holding this movie to the same standard as, say, like, The Godfather? It's a little bit ridiculous. This movie, again, is for seven-year-olds. Let people just enjoy themselves. And they, they basically said something like this. This movie, first of all, provides nothing for the non-Mario fan. It just assumes you know everything. It's like, yes, because Mario is so synonymous with culture and more embedded in culture. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you could make the same argument as uh, the Godfather doesn't provide anyone for, you know, who's unfamiliar with the Italian mob culture. It's just a ridiculous argument more people have played super mario brothers than have seen the godfather or i don't know done a lot of other things i think that you're like underestimating the impact of super mario brothers second of all they were just kind of of the opinion that there's really no explanation. There's no higher theme here. They don't explain a lot of things. They also glaze. They got a lot of things wrong. They don't explain why they'd use carts. They actually do. They do give an explanation of that. They're like, we need to use carts because we need to get there quickly. So what if it's not the best explanation? Again, this is a children's movie. They, there's no mention of the praise of how good the animation is. There's no mention of the praise of how good the voice acting is, which it's really good, by the way. Bowser... Um, Jack Black as Bowser is the obvious standout here, but I don't want to get too deeply into my own personal review, but I, I'll just say that there's no mention of the voice acting uh, and how good it is. And also, I don't know, it's just, God, it takes a lot of uh, hubris to see that, I don't know if they were seen in a theater with young children or not, but I've been to the movies quite a bit in the month of April, and... Every single time I just see families going there to enjoy themselves and, and all the kids are totally decked out in all Mario gear. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, what are you doing? What are you doing? And also, and not only that, the article seemed well aware of the fact that it was going to get criticized. It's like, well, don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. You're allowed to ask questions. You're allowed to ask questions, but I, if you, you're going to, it seems like you're going way harder on this movie than you are a lot of other movies. I don't know. Then on like, for instance, tar, you could equally ask just as many about questions about tar, which seems to be a critical darling of a movie. I don't know. I just, it, I understand that critics are probably a little bit bummed out about reviewing this movie because Here's the thing about movie critics. Oftentimes, these folks have gone to elite schools like Northwestern or something like that. They have an elite journalism school. And they came out and to get a job at, for instance, a magazine like The Atlantic or The New York Times and to be a film critic, that's a really, really, really coveted position. And they hire people that are very smart and very thoughtful and have impressive backgrounds. And to and they want to say things that are more profound in the reviews and as a reflection of the world. And the Super Mario Brothers movie is simply not a reflection of that. It's pure entertainment. <laughs> That's all it is. It's a good time. If there's any message about it, it's like, hey, 
We're better when we work together and you can count on your friends and your friends and family matter. There was actually one theme that was a little bit higher and that he gets rejected by his parents in the beginning and he has grit and determination to stick it out through that and work on his plumbing business. And I think that's a good message for kids ultimately. But yes, there's no higher message of of class relations or loneliness like Wally or emotions like Inside Out. Of course not. But does every movie have to be that? This movie was tremendously entertaining and the jokes landed. And, and, you know, if you don't find this movie the least bit funny, then I don't know. Perhaps you're just very, very cynical and it's not to your taste. But clearly you're not in touch with a lot of people. And I think that, I don't know, maybe there should be a little bit of an about face there just to say like, at least maybe have a little caveat saying, I realize that what I'm saying about this movie is going to be unpopular. (laughs) And there's also people who question saying Chris Pratt is a strange choice. Uh, Critics question saying Chris Pratt is a strange choice to play Mario as he's not Italian. It's like, really? I don't know. I mean, Chris Pratt, I think the calculation there is that Chris Pratt is a big tent movie star who appeals to a lot of people. If you look at this guy, look at the calculation here. He's been the face of multiple franchises, three major franchises that have all been tremendously successful. You have the Jurassic World franchise, the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, and he was the voice, not the face, but the voice in the Lego movie as well. So I think Nintendo was just looking, Nintendo and Universal were looking at a track record there and we like, we need someone who's a bona fide big tent star to appeal to as many people as possible. And that's what they wanted this movie to do. They didn't want this to be a feel bad movie. They wanted people just to have a good time. And there's something for everyone. If you're an adult who has played video games at some point in your life and video games have been around for a long time now, so there are adults that play it. There's a lot for you. There's a lot of references to Super Smash Smash Brothers. There's a lot of references to Mario Kart uh, and all the music too. The music, that's not even, Brian Tyler, the music was excellent. And there's no mention of the music either. (sighs) Film is a visual medium. And I often find that critics just don't mention visuals or audio nearly enough. At least kind of the professional critics of, for instance, magazines. Now, listen, I love it. I love The Atlantic. I love Variety. I love The Hollywood Reporter. Actually, they gave it positive reviews. I love The New York Times. But gosh, just consider things a little bit more holistically. Anyway, um, (laughs) this is the most unorganized rant I've ever gone on. I apologize if if I'm a little bit incoherent. I understand because so these uh, critics have spent the last 20 years reviewing Marvel movies and superhero movies, and they don't want to review that stuff. They want to review stuff where they can, that's a bit more profound. And those movies, while there is a lot of meaning to them, they're not on the same level as, say, something like, I don't know, what's a big movie expensive movie that had a lot of meaning to it let's say the last duel which by the way absolutely bombed but that movie was you're really thinking a lot after watching that movie and that's not always the case after the marvel movies and so 
I think critics are aware of the fact that this Super Mario Brothers movie, if it's very successful, is going to usher in a whole new wave of IP-driven movies. And not superhero movies in this case, but video game movies. And by the way, that's going to happen. Um, and so they're probably a bit pissed about having to cover that after getting a Northwestern education and getting a job at the Atlantic and trying to keep that. And it's like, well, this is what I have to do now. Come on, man. What happened to the film industry? And it's like, if you want to review more profound stuff, you should review TV (laughs) because this is the state of the movie industry that we're in right now. But that being said, it just seems like there's a bit of a narrative amongst quite a few critics to ding this thing and just pile on this thing and to almost review it badly out of existence. That be, and, and luckily, I think critic reviews mean less and less. There's no real star critics anymore. I mean, remember that Siskel and Ebert and then later Roper, Ebert and Roper, they were on a network television show and they were celebrities. There's no movie reviewers that are celebrities. In fact, the only ones that are probably the most famous are people like Chris Stuckman, who I respect a great deal and gave this movie a positive review, uh, Stuckman on YouTube. Um, And I think that uh, another podcast uh, on The Ringer, The Big Picture with Sean Fennessy, who I respect a great deal, said it best where he says he gets a lot of emails or tweets or messages saying, or DMS. Why don't you pile on this thing? Like it's garbage. And he's like, I'm not going to do that because I don't think it's garbage. And so there's clearly there is, there's a lot of people that don't want this thing to exist and they're pissed off about it. And that was another thing. I think it was NPR. Or I might get that wrong. So I apologize if I'm wrong, but saying this is just one ad for the video game. And like, is it really healthy to have people, have an ad for video games. And it's like, (laughs) we could say the same thing about a Batman movie being an ad for Batman comics or something like that. (sighs) Or Star Wars being an ad for Star Wars toys. If you're, you're upset about commercialism now in movie, it just, I don't know. It seems like it's a very selective time to be upset about mass commercialism in the film and TV industry. I don't know, man. Selective outrage. It just it just got under my skin. I, you know, obviously I have a personal attachment to this movie. Did I think it was the best animated movie I've ever seen? No. Did I have a great time? Yes. And that's what it's about. People just want to have a good time. And this is, for, for I'm sure for a lot of families, their first time back at the movies. And maybe for some young children that grew up on this, maybe it's their first time at the movies. And so to come down on this, and I understand critics, I know what critics are saying, but don't ask me to be dishonest. And it's like, I don't know. Like, quite frankly, I'm not sure you're being honest because I think that you have an ax to grind with a lot of this stuff. So uh, just, uh, I think that the Atlantic Review, maybe the line that got under my skin the most was, I guess kids just like sugar. I guess kids, you know, families just want to give their kids sugar. And that's what he's saying, that this is the equivalent of just like a sugar rush for kids. I'm not quite so sure about that. As I said before, that there's higher themes in this movie. And second of all, 
kids are entitled to have fun every now and then, you know? It's just a bit of ridiculous. For the world that kids have grown up in recently, I think that kids are more than entitled to have fun. All the horrible news out there, and you're going to basically lecture a bunch of parents who have gone through a tough time, and then lecture a bunch of kids who have known nothing but horror recently. <sighs> Do you not have a soul? The whole lecture thing got really under my skin. Anyway, rant over. I apologize if this was possibly the most incoherent beginning to a podcast, uh, to an episode of Too Much to Watch Ever, but uh, I just had to get that one off of my chest. All right. Now I'm going to actually dive into the movie itself. So let's get into that. All right. So now I'm going to dive into my review of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, let's start off with this. I think one of the great successes of this movie is similar to that of the success of Star Wars The Force Awakens. You can draw a parallel there. And if you're thinking at this point, Sam, you are crazy. I don't see the connection there. Hear me out. So Star Wars The Force Awakens, one of the most successful movies of all time in terms of box office performance. What was so exciting about that movie? Because more or less, it's basically just a remix of A New Hope, right? With more modern production values, uh, maybe even more obvious humor peppered in there. The success of that movie was the fact that people were hungry for a modern Star Wars movie that was competent and good, unlike the three prequels that happened that generally are not considered very good. They were successful financially, but they're not considered as good. And people were just like, I need justice to be done here. And that's why that movie was the most successful of the three newest Star Wars Skywalker saga movies. People were just hungry for something and there's a novelty factor there. And I think that that's part of the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. There is a bit of a novelty factor is that people want a good Mario movie and it's been 30 years and there's a painful memory there of the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie, which by the way, that the review also said, oh, they tried to do something more cinematic and it's like, dude, they also don't value the um, idea of staying faithful to the source material. And like, there's a little bit of knocking of that too. And it's like, listen, you stay faithful to the source material. People like that because people are fans of this IP and they cherish it. So when you can stay faithful, rules of the road here, that's how you make things popular. And they do stay faithful to the source material here. Obviously the animation and the technology to do animation like they did in this movie was not around back then. They could have done a 2D animated movie and maybe that would have cut it. I don't know. But but to do something like this in 1993 was just not possible. I mean, we wouldn't have a computer animated feature film until 1997 with Toy Story. And even then, if you look at that movie compared to this, I mean, the animation pales in comparison. 
So not only is the animation beautiful and the soundtrack is incredible, but the voice acting's really good and a lot of the humor really, really lands. And there's a lot of nods to people who have played the game. And you know what? That's enough. It's a very simple story. It's 92 minutes. It's a simple good time. And that's all we really need. It doesn't need to say anything profound. And guess what? Apparently that's the way Nintendo wanted it. Nintendo did not have any control over the 1993 movie. And apparently they had strict, pretty strict control because they felt burnt last time and they cherished. Nintendo is a very litigious and uh, they are a company that's very protective of their intellectual property and just the way they do things in general. So they had a lot more control now and they wanted the story to be very simple. They didn't want it to be say anything big. They wanted to, to kind of be like the game. I mean, has Mario Brothers ever had really that <laughs> deep of a story? No, not really. The success of Mario is in the design of the games, not in the story. It's, again, I mean, this is like a fever dream that came out of the imagination of a guy who was an industrial design graduate <laughs> who was inspired by Popeye. So what more is there to do? The voice acting's really good. Chris Pratt is fine. Charlie Day is even better as Luigi. Jack Black is really good as Bowser. Um, and I thought everyone else was good. It's a little bit weird hearing Seth Rogen's voice as Donkey Kong because, I don't know, I just never envisioned Donkey Kong sounding like Seth Rogen. But after a while, you get used to it. And that's the thing. We haven't heard many of these characters because Nintendo notoriously doesn't have much voice acting in their video games. We haven't heard many of these characters talk. So to hear them talking now, it's like, okay, I'm okay with it. Um, and Brian Tyler, who has taken the famous music, all the music composed by the great Koji Kondo uh, and rearranged it, did a just a hell of a job. I mean, it, it, it's just... This amazing, I, I would listen to the soundtrack on Spotify. I, I, it might actually be available. So, um, but yeah, I would totally listen to the soundtrack on Spotify or whatever music streaming service. And the movie's a little bit meta at times too. It makes, you know, it, it breaks the, it makes fun of itself. It understands uh, its place. The movie's also kind of like violent in a super smash brothers like way it shows a lot of people like punching each other and kicking each other and it's i guess that is mario but that, that's probably what got it the pg rating there's just there's not too much i have to say about this movie it's, I, I don't really i didn't expect more or less out of it i didn't expect it to be as profound as something like inside out and make me tear up if there were people tearing up, it's simply because of the nostalgia factor and just seeing, I, I think that one thing that was big for me, and this is not going to be for everyone, but for many people on a personal level, it's like, I grew up with this character. So to see this, this is the best looking and most realized the world of Mario has ever been and the most cinematic Mario has ever been. And just, so to see that, there's something to that. There's a, just an amazing uh, nostalgic effect happening in my brain at the time of watching this movie. And I think that many of the other people that I were watching with that were for the most part, like 20 and over, 
that was what was happening with them as well. So that's all I'll say about that. Other than that, it was a really good movie. And I understand that this is a short review, but I recommend it. I recommend seeing it. If you've ever played a Mario game in your life, um, or if you're vaguely familiar with the character, there's not too much to be familiar with. You'll have a good time. You'll have a good time. I look forward to the sequel, and I'm not... I understand that the video game, um, or not the video game, the superhero movies are losing a little bit of their luster right now, and then Hollywood will probably dive into this headfirst as the next as the next big wave of something to dive to jump into. I welcome it a bit. Uh, maybe that's just my own personal wishes, but I think that these stories have been sitting around for years and Hollywood hasn't known how to adapt them. And maybe now that they've kind of, they're starting to figure it out uh, and they can make adult creations like the last of us. And they can also make, Creations for kids. And this is a kid's first movie. There, there's not even anything really for adults. But oftentimes it's said that, um, you know, there's not enough kids movies. There's not enough family movies lately. When I was, you know, when I was younger, there were a lot of G and PG rated movies. I would see Toy Story movies and, um, gosh, Monsters, Inc., Pixar stuff. And while there are occasional Pixar movies, there's just simply not as much anymore. When's the last time you've seen a movie that was rated G? I can't even think of one. So this is not a G-rated movie either, by the way. But I, I think it's acceptable for kids that are, you know, seven, five, six, seven, and up. So go out, see this movie. See it with the whole family. You'll have a good time. All right. So before I take off, I do want to get into one more thing. And I remember at the beginning of this podcast, I did say I had like a little bit of something called hidden gems. I don't know if hidden gems is right, quite the right phrase, but maybe I will just call it underrated. Um, one thing that I want to turn your attention to before I sign off is a movie called Seven Kings Must Die. This is a movie that has recently come out on Netflix. It is kind of like a historic epic movie, and it's a continuation of a series on Netflix called The Last Kingdom. And this basically is kind of like a, a sword and shield saga epic similar to something like uh, Vikings, maybe. It even has Vikings in it. It's about the Viking invasion of Europe and England. And it stars, um, it centers around a character named Uhtred, who is a boy who was English, born Anglo-Saxon, and then raised as a Danish Viking. He's captured and raised as a Danish Viking. Um, and then he comes back to England as an adult. And gets caught up in between the war of the Vikings and the Saxons. And it's just, a, it's a really, really good show. That's kind of been the numbers for Netflix on it have been good, but it hasn't really gotten that much media attention. No one really talks about this show. If you have, if you're looking for something to watch, I highly recommend watching it. There's a movie that came out that just kind of finished off. They, they had five seasons of the show. They finished it off, but they left a little wiggle room to finish off the story. And they did that with this, two-hour movie called Seven Kings Must Die, 
the movie's pretty good. Um, it's not as good as anything in the series, but I think I just, while watching this, I was remembering that I could make recommendations of things that don't necessarily get enough attention. So, um, again, if you're looking for something to watch, The Last Kingdom, it is an epic show that has an excellent pilot and highs and lows. And I found something to like in every single see all five seasons. Uh, it's also beautifully shot. It's beautiful to look at. It makes the, um, it makes the English countryside, which is actually, by the way, the show shot in Hungary. It's not, it's supposed to take place in England, but it's shot in Hungary. Uh, very, very beautiful. It's a lot of exterior shots. So that's really good. One thing I will say about the movie is that it feels a little bit rushed. It crams so much in. Um, and if they had made a nice decision to instead just do a shortened season, like five episodes, that probably would have been a little bit more ideal. But I get it. You know, Netflix only wants to allocate so much budget, and it's probably hard to shoot this show because you're shooting it in the winters in Hungary, and it's probably really cold and a miserable production. Uh, and it's expensive with all the costumes and stuff. But yeah, watch The Last Kingdom and finish it off with Seven Kings Must Die. Don't just jump into Seven Kings Must Die. Um, you can do that, but it, it it won't have nearly as much effect on you. So that's my recommendation. All right. So that has been another installment of Too Much to Watch. Join us next time. I'll be diving into the writer's strike. Yeah, this holds up a lot of things. Uh, hopefully not any TV and movies in the long term. Uh, but yeah, that's something to dive into. <laughs> I'll have to do a little bit of research on that one to understand all the particulars. Uh, so bear with me on that. And uh, there's a lot more to talk about. I have not talked about The Mandalorian yet. Uh, kind of an underwhelming season. I want to get into that a little bit more. Uh, there's just so many shows out right now. I maybe need to do a little bit of a rapid fire, jump around and talk about the various shows that are coming out on the streamers. Um, and maybe some of the movies coming up. We have another Marvel movie coming out quite soon. Uh, the third guardians of the galaxy. And it's gotten pretty good reviews. It's tracking. Well, a lot hinges on this, how, how this hinge, you know, what does it mean for the, Marvel Cinematic Universe and just superhero movies in general going forward. And we're also kind of getting into prime movie season. I'm going to be attending a, an advanced screening of Fast 10 next week. And so looking forward to that. Um, we have, what is it? The Little Mermaid coming out. And then June, July, uh, June and July. That's when a lot of the big, big movies that we've been looking forward to are uh, coming up. So yes. Check in with us next time. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sam Papard, and this has been another installment of Too Much to Watch. I'll see you next time.